1: Everybody. Welcome to Punching Out. I'm Lou. I'm joined this week by Amanda. Hi, everybody. And we have a very special guest this week. Her name is Zoe. She's actually calling in from out of town, which is fantastic. We have out of state fans. Uh, Zoe's actually really special because she runs Victory Press, uh, which is editor in chief. She's editor in chief <laughs> and founder of Victory Press, um, which is an online sports journalism hub. So, welcome, Zoe.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for being with us. Yeah,
1: we're really, really excited to have you on. So let's start out. So Zoe, what's your background?
2: Well, specifically in sports, I've been writing about hockey sort of for about 10 years now, which makes me feel kind (laughs) of old. And I started writing about women's sports in 2014 so it's been about four years since i started writing about women's sports in particular specifically women's hockey other than that i have an education in writing and journalism and media and literature um and i work in it so <laughs> got a lot going on
1: yeah you got a lot you're you're making me feel a little bit like <laughs> inadequate. <laughs> yeah, inadequate yeah inadequate that's same, definitely the same. word i it's fantastic so uh when did you start victory press
2: Um, I started Victory Press in 2015, so Mm -hmm. we're coming up on our kind of fourth cycle. Um, We started just with women's hockey, and we've been trying to do other sports ever since we started. It's basically just a website where I get to pay people to write and cover women's sports, and I try to to approach it from an intersectional feminist perspective and increasingly like an anti-capitalist. And like, you know, equality perspective. That's what we're Um, all about. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, in case it wasn't obvious at this point, this week's episode of Punching Out is going to be on women's sports. So we've done a couple episodes about sports labor, which is a very important and hot topic, I'd say.
3: Uh, Yours truly was on yeah, one. Yeah,
1: Amanda was on one. It was fun. It was a good one.
3: It but was on, this one's going to be better. Yeah,
1: this one's going to be about women <laughs> in sports, which, as we can all kind of think in our head, is its own special little hellhole yeah.
3: of, <laughs> of issues, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to have you on. Okay, so kind of implied by, by what you said about your anti-capitalist perspective, but the first uh, framework we're going to use to approach... Women's sports is capitalism and patriarchy. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, where to begin? Um,
2: that's such a broad question. Um, yeah. but there there are a lot of deals. Um, <laughs> True. I think that when you start talking about women's sports, one of the first things that you know people are really talking about right now is the fact that there is such an enormous wage gap. Um, between professional men's athletes and professional women's athletes. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting problem to try to solve because if you want to solve that problem of the wage gap and say, like, how do we figure out a way to get women's athletes paid better and taken care of better, the model of a successful sports league or a successful sports franchise would be like a major men's sports league in theory, but those are already incredibly bad, like not only from a labor perspective, but just, you know, an economical perspective in general. If we're talking about women's sports, how we make them better, we're talking about making them more like men's sports leagues. That's a really bad idea because men's sports leagues are not fair to their workers. They're not fair to athletes. And the only reason why we uphold them the way that we do is because professional men's athletes have this like, image of conspicuous wealth, which for some reason Americans really think is great. And that's like a success story to them that these men have conspicuous wealth. Unfortunately, I don't think there's enough conspicuous wealth to go around Hmm. to make everyone who plays sports really well rich. So you kind of have to start thinking about taking resources away from men's sports and reallocating them, which that idea makes a lot of people very angry when you suggest it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's Does what not, not makes, make us angry. But no, we're we're a okay with that, um, <laughs> but that's another issue. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things about the American economy and just our our perception of how things operate in general is that the more wealthy it is, therefore the better it is automatically. Like you know, yeah,
2: like the high production value of like a men's sports broadcast, for example, mm-hmm. is like that's considered indicative of quality, even right. though like you can watch the most extremely boring like regular season like baseball game ever it's like you know no one gets any runs and it's like it has to go to extra innings because everyone's playing so badly <laughs> like but that's given like every you know bell and whistle of broadcasting right like right we we make them look pretty but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good yeah
1: that's that's precisely um, true yeah
2: so, when people are evaluating like whether women's sports are successful, they're really holding it up against like those benchmarks mm-hmm. um which really aren't indicative of quality and women's sports, not to say that like all women's sports are more interesting, but I'm inclined to feel that most women's sports games I've watched in my time have been way more interesting and compelling than you know watching a bunch of millionaires hit balls at each other, which you know but that's that's just me. <laughs>
3: I'm on board with that. I mean, they're incredible incredibly talented athletes. It's not like they are not lesser athletes. Right. That's one thing right. that's commonly and actually Lou had alluded to this earlier that you were witness to someone maybe undermining the oh yeah. The skills of women's athletes of uh, women's soccer right, yeah. players. And yeah. You know, that, I mean, I've watched women's soccer. That's right. not true. <laughs> right. Yeah. And
1: and so, so the background to the story is I was um, hanging out with some friends out of town and I can't remember how exactly it came up, but we were talking about um, men's soccer and I think the World Cup. And I made some offhanded comment about how, you know, the U.S. women's, soccer team uh is consistently one of the greatest teams in the world they've won so many medals and and um world cups and the men's team can't even qualify and this guy that i was talking to because of course it was a man um just made this comment it's like oh well you know if if the women played the men the the men would obviously crush them and i I just looked at him and he was like what are you talking about? He was like well you know if you look at their gameplay and and how they're playing it's obvious the men just have so much more ball handling skills and and they 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 have so much more athleticism to them and I I just like where do you begin with arguing at that when that in that he's not even alone in thinking that you know uh, a few months back, uh, people, some tennis player was, I can't even remember who because all the men, ten- male tennis players are basically interchangeable, was saying like, oh, yeah, <laughs> if, if Serena Williams played on the men's circuit, she would be like 400th in the world. And it's, it's this is a pervasive attitude that that people have about women in sports is that fundamentally they're inferior.
2: Yeah, there are kind of two major arguments. I think that's one of the one of the biggest ones that you get when you start talking to really any men who watch like in men's pro leagues exclusively. Right. Like they just generally believe like women aren't good at things. They're definitely not good at sports things. They might be good at making sandwiches, and they might be good, <laughs> good at like raising children, but no. they're not good at being athletes. Um. So there's that, and then that conversely leads to the second reason why, like, women's sports aren't more popular, which is because, well, it's supply and demand. No one wants to watch them. That's why they're not successful. Mm, so, uh, <laughs> where to it's like, it's a very circular argument. It really and it, like, is. It doesn't, I mean, it's the same with, like, any, you know, boneheaded, <laughs> uh, misogynist argument, really, that, like you know, you realize that the reason why men have all this wealth traditionally is because of all the structural advantages that were afforded to them. Um, And when you start, and that's why sports is such a really, like, interesting place to do intersectional feminism. Right. um, Because once you start trying to, like, figure out in the context of a game or in the context of, like, very, like, basic kind of physical tasks or precise physical tasks, you start really breaking down any, like, illusion that you have that there really is for example a gender binary right. or that like and I mean that biologically too like right. a lot of these people say things like you know well women are physically inferior you know and it's when you start looking at it objectively you see that, that that's really just not true and yeah. that of course there are like there are a huge variety of physical differences like in among every you know, athlete's body and what they can achieve, but it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, assigned gender at birth and it doesn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. It has more to do with what resources were made available to them and how they were able to utilize those resources. Yeah. Um, And once you realize that, then you realize that the whole professional sports thing is really just a big racket. (laughs) And definitely, (laughs) That you can't, if that it has to change somehow if we want it to be better, and people really hate that argument people re- like men in particular really hate that argument, especially yeah. if they're like you know big hockey fans, like big mm-hmm. NHL or big right. NFL fans yeah, it's just they can't they can't they can't cope with it emotionally
1: no and it, it, <laughs> it's because like at some level you'll have to then admit that the thing you like so much could be better. And there are yeah. flaws, you know, let's be honest, that takes a lot of strength to say this thing that's that is really cool. I'm passionate about it needs to be improved.
2: Yeah. And that like it actually does harm. Right. Um, which is another big one that like men's sports leagues really, really like actively do harm yeah. like culturally, like it in objective, physical ways, like to the athletes who play these men's games and then, you know also in women's games like there's a lot of physical risk involved Uh and so they're never being taken care of properly really
3: I mean you can it's a good place to bring up like CTE right yeah yeah um, (laughs) and and that that's kind of a labor issue in itself right and I'm sure for I mean I'm not I will maybe you would know more especially in hockey and we know that Gary Bettman um,
1: Your favorite person. My in the favorite world. person
3: in the world <laughs> is very is atrocious with that particular issue. Who uh, Gary Bettman is the commissioner of the NHL. For that <laughs> yeah, recap um, that. I just assume everybody knows and everybody knows that he's wait. The what, was, worst. what was his name? Gary Butman. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's funny. Um. So that's kind of a labor issue in terms of like that's something that the athletes aren't protected from in a way in in a, in a way that that is adequate to protect their health yeah um, yeah um there's a big debate in women's hockey right now as to
2: whether the nhl should actually like have an overseeing role in a women's hockey league because right now there are two professional women's hockey leagues mm-hmm. there's a whole big debate about whether there should just be one women's hockey league and whose fault it is that we only have that we have two and how that's whether that's bad or whether that's good it's a whole thing but the gary Bettman has said on record that you know, he would have – they would have their own women's hockey league if there weren't already two. And certain people uh-huh. have said, like, that they should that they should take it over or, like, you know, be the – kind of the owner, so to speak, of women's hockey. So and all of this is going on, like, while all of the concussion debate is going on. And there is a lot of scientific research to suggest that women and AFAB people, um, assigned female at birth people, um, that they – are more at risk for severe concussions and that they experience concussions mm. severely and more mm. differently than men um, and assigned male at birth people do. There is a lot of like, that just, it scares the crap out of me, you know, right. that while this, all these concussion issues are going on with the NHL and it's basically like being revealed that, you know, Gary Bettman will not acknowledge that head trauma is like a thing <laughs> Yeah. That it, he's basically saying like, "Oh, head trauma? What's that? I've never heard of it." Yeah, yeah if, you know.
3: if if the and it, N- if the NFL's behind on right. dealing with that issue, the NHL is like is like light years such, away yeah, from- it's incredibly. Wait, I just want to back up for a second because because
1: did you just say that Gary Bettman is blaming women's hockey for there not being a women's hockey league run by the NHL?
2: He's basically, he said, and he's been a little bit cagey about it, but he basically has said, like, oh, the NHL, you know, is very committed to women's sports, and we would definitely start a league if um, there weren't already two leagues, Uh and we... We've evaluated it and we, you know, we need to make sure that it's, like, financially sustainable, which is also hilarious uh, to me because the NHL financially sustainable.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I think there's a double standard. Especially the Gary standard. Bettman strategy yeah. of expanding it. <clears throat> the coyotes. But anyway. Uh. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, that's such a double standard of, of we need to make sure that this is done. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really tired of 2 faced talk like that. It's very
3: infuriating.
2: It's it's very patronizing as
1: it's well. Like to the women's
3: leagues. I mean, we're you uh, so. we sh- as women, yeah, and, uh, we're used to that by now. <laughs> uh. Used to, uh, yeah. but okay. So one thing actually that you brought up that was very very interesting to me, and I think this is very worth getting into in depth because it's something that I think people don't talk about is that women athletes feel kind of a sort of duty to like grow the game in a way that's like selfless and they feel guilty or unable to criticize certain structural problems and it kind of reminded yeah. it kind of reminded me a little bit as this is a anti-capitalist show <laughs> and as a marxist it reminds <laughs> me of the idea of false consciousness a little bit how you know capitalism kind of conceals people's role as class actors right mm-hmm. and kind of like convinces them that they benefit from doing things in a in a way that isn't that is not actually to their benefit so i wonder what you like if you have any comments about um how, how well, women athletes relate to their sport, I guess.
2: It's very interesting. And I mean, I'm speaking as a non-athlete, I'm speaking as a writer, and I'm sure that if you got like an actual athlete on here who lives it, they would frame it very differently. Not very differently, but I think in a, like a different lens that goes without saying. Um, I think that a lot of them would say like, you know, we're doing this, This way, because we want the next generation to have it better, which is totally valid, but they walk this impossible line Mm -hmm. with trying to improve the situation that they're in without like actively criticizing league commissioners or, you know, governing bodies. Because if they do that too much, they won't be able to play. Um, There was a recent example of this where you know, USA hockey when the women's team went on strike. This happened last year before the women's world championships, the, the IIHF international ice hockey federation women's world championship, um, where they went on strike and basically like every American girl and woman playing hockey from like every age group was on strike with them. It was a great thing saying, like, to
3: witness by the way. It was yeah, it incredibly was inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like it was
2: very well organized and they, they messaged it perfectly um, to get what they wanted. But I, to a certain degree, I don't think that they asked for enough. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's
2: just like my, my intersectional brain talking. Mm -hmm. Like hockey is just so overwhelmingly white for one thing. So when they're asking Mm -hmm. for equity, I felt like they were really only asking for equity for white women. And I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this in a lot of other places, but I, haven't mentioned it here yet. USA Hockey has snubbed a lot of women of color from their national team in in a way that's pretty popularly acknowledged. That like they kind of have just picked you know white girls from prominent NCAA Division One schools, and they've just completely ignored or like invited to one camp and then you know not invited back some really talented uh, black women who play hockey. And it's just it feels like a really intentional whitewashing to the detriment of their sport, really. Like, just it's very obvious. So when when you're talking about that labor action, I felt like that labor action should have more directly asked for better representation. And it didn't do that. And that was very disappointing to me at the time. And it remains disappointing to me. But I mean, in USA Hockey, like they dug their heels in, they resisted so aggressively. They they were going to play like you know the worst players. <laughs> like <laughs> you know they they would have done anything, and it, it they only caved once they realized that no one was going to play for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to to be clear to anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with it, what the women's team was asking for was better support. Um, for their women's team in comparison to the men's team, which the USA hockey men's team has a national development program um, where they basically play a junior league with like young developing men's players. And they don't do the same thing for women. They don't support girls hockey nearly to the same extent that they support boys hockey financially. And they also were not paying their players except during like Mm -hmm. time they were training with USA hockey. Right. And
1: considering the fact
2: that up until three years ago, there was no paying women's hockey league. It was very difficult for players to support themselves in between Olympic cycles. Right.
1: Yeah. I I mean, that's the thing about, about all women's sports. And you see this over and over and over again, is that there's this attitude or or this belief that they're not serious, that they're not actual athletes, that they're just goofing off. Like they're doing this as a hobby, you know?
2: Yeah. Or like the, it, it can't be as good like where right. they they're just inherently like th- it's just not possible for them to achieve the same thing right, but
1: at the same time like as as you were kind of saying with this this women's hockey issue, they are playing like these women are are totally interchangeable, it's like you don't matter, and this
3: the subordinate right. uh, or the the popular view of these sports and the treatment of women's sports leagues as subordinate allows greater institutional oppression of the mm-hmm. women and, and AFAB people to be eas- more easily oppressed by their bosses and their managers. Right, what that is that noise? noise?
2: Yeah. And no, not just AFAB people that uh, assign male at birth, to, like trans women oh, yeah, as yeah. well. Like, that's actually,
3: it's a good, it's a good place to actually talk about trans rights in women's sports leagues, because that's, again, some, an issue that gets overlooked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Um. Wait, not even just by in pro leagues, feminists, but yeah.
2: yeah, not just in pro leagues, but internationally as well, because a lot of like the in this relates to labor, I think, in the sense that um, people have this perception that like the, the product needs to be a fair game. Right. So then they invent like all these ways to figure out whether or not the game is fair and a lot of that amounts to saying, like, well, letting trans people play because they don't, you know, adhere to our binary understandings of gender. Like, they they need to not participate in the same sports as cis people. Right. Um, and they come up with all of these ridiculous ways to denote that, you know, with hormone testing and uh, gender testing and, like, I mean – in this century they were making like women athletes uh, like at the international level strip naked and have their genitals examined yeah um mm. it, in order to like prove that they were actually women um and that also it completely ignores the existence of people with intersex conditions mm-hmm. and non-binary people and gender non-conforming people and basically like punishes them and forces them to, if they want to participate in their sport, they're basically paying a tax for not being, you know, for not falling into that binary gender presentation or even like existence. Like it's just absolutely ridiculous. They often require like proof of medical transition or proof of, you know, hormone levels being within a certain range, which is completely arbitrary. Yeah, Just utterly and completely arbitrary. And there's absolutely no scientific proof whatsoever that, you know, for example, that testosterone affords a particular athletic advantage in various competition, um, particularly when you're classifying like by weight, for example, rather than any other arbitrary classification, mm-hmm. like there's very, very little evidence, no evidence really to suggest that you know, someone with more testosterone in their system can do X task better than someone else. Yeah. And it, it's very interesting to think of that and try to figure out, like, where you draw the line between, like, labor and, like, just existing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: hey,
1: yeah, that's, I mean, that's the problem when you have to sell your labor in order to survive. Like, the, you can't do one without the other all right that's probably a good place to take a break for now we'll be back in a minute
2: you're listening to punching out on w-a-y-o-l-p rochester if you'd like to continue slacking off you can find all of our past episodes on itunes and soundcloud remember your boss isn't listening but we are
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Punching Out. Uh, You're with Lou today and... Amanda. And... And... Zoe. Zoe, yay! (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. So we were talking about um, labor and sports, which we have talked about before, but with the the complicating issue of gender. Because like with most issues, when you enter in, you know... When you take a normal thing or an everyday thing and intersect gender with it, it gets a lot more complicated and usually uglier, um, especially when it comes to labor issues. So we've talked in the previous section, we were talking about um, all sorts of issues with gender and sports and the double standards that exist therein. But I want to go back and just talk a little bit and tease out the relationship between sports and labor. Why does this matter?
2: Well... I think sports are labor because inherently they're at least the way that we experience them now in America and in most modern societies is they're producing a product. It's like an entertainment product. Mm -hmm. Um, So we wouldn't necessarily, we wouldn't, for example, say that like actors aren't workers. Right. I don't think. Yeah. Um, And it's the same principle is that they are producing a product and, Something that um, you had in our show notes, but that we didn't mention yet is um, who's benefiting from sports. Mm,
3: true. Um,
2: and that's a very interesting question because I think that maybe a lot of the labor issues in sports that we've talked about and that you guys have talked about on other episodes, that they kind of get away with those violations of their workers because sports also benefits society in a certain way. Mm-hmm um the same way that art benefits a society it's like something that's being produced that's of value to the people who are experiencing it and not just to you know the bosses right which is interesting yeah
1: and well i I'd, I'd say it's that plus at its basis sports are benefiting team owners like Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the weird things about sports as a labor issue is that we don't think of it as labor. It's, it's one of those hidden issues. Yes, they are producing a commodity. Yes, they do get paid or reimbursed for the work they're putting into it. But we don't think of these these athletes as workers fundamentally.
3: And part of that is because of what Zoe mentioned earlier. And we talked about it in opposition as in opposition to men's leagues versus women's leagues and conspicuous wealth but part part of the reason for that i think is the conspicuous wealth and they see somebody making like you know having this giant contract and being like and thinking about what they make in a year and and they you know and and women's athletes in women's leagues do not make no anywhere near what what men's leagues do what so do. do you know what the
1: average salary
2: for women's hockey is for women's hockey, I mean, mm-hmm. I think they're making they're making like ten between five and ten thousand dollars a year plus bonuses. I could be wrong about that. Wow, um, that's they're not nothing. really disclosing. They're not really disclosing salaries, and I right. would have to I'd have to get comment on that. But I'm really not sure. It's very very little. Oh, they're not um, they're not hockey, disclosing
3: salaries.
2: They were for a time because um, huh. the NWHL was the first league that was paying players not like an actual like wage per game that they played during the regular season. The CWHL always had um, bonuses for champions and they provided equipment. That was basically like the compensation that CWHL players received up until like last year. Um, So that was, and that's the Canadian women's hockey league and the national women's hockey league, which started in 2015, not to be, confused with another league that was also called the National Women's Hockey League that folded in 2007.
1: So, so this was a, they were reporting on it, and
2: basically now they're not. Yeah, to my knowledge, I, they are not disclosing salary figures at this time. That um, seems I, really I that shady. I get, Labor issue. I get the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get, well, they, they had to cut salaries in half um, after they had some financial issues. So They said, like, they were Ooh. reducing them by at least 50%. They, when they started, I think like the maximum or some or the league minimum was ten thousand. I think,
3: uh-huh.
2: um, and then they had to have that. So I'm not sure how much people are making now.
3: now. Do you know if there were if there was any pushback on that from the athletes? I mean, like, was there um, any were there any labor actions or? There was not labor action as a result of that. No. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's
1: like the duty aspect of of the women's sports. Yeah. Is <laughs> They don't have to oh, yeah, take
3: half my salary as long as I still get to play the right. game. It's 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 such mar- it, and it's not even their That's I, I really sad. Yeah. That's really sad to me.
1: It is. It's super sad.
3: Cuz it's it's like um,
1: martyrdom almost.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that I experience kind of frequently when I'm like observing this is that like, you know, they I feel like a lot of these athletes could ask for better, but they also like understand the reality that it's extremely unlikely that they would get it without like just tearing down, you know, so much of what's already been done. And I don't think that they want to like hang their teammates and their colleagues and their friends like mm-hmm. out to dry in that way.
3: Right. It's a very the same
2: way that like, sorry, go ahead.
3: No. Uh, it's a very interesting question to ask and maybe segues a little bit into thinking about like what ex- what part of these structures are worth keeping and mm-hmm. and should we t- should should they be torn down completely in the first place what kind of r- how radical a solution do we need or to to like solve some of these problems that seem seem inherent
2: um, I think that a lot of what has happened so far with all of the women's leagues is like worth keeping in the sense that like there are strong fan bases for pretty much every like women's pro team across all sports that I know Mm -hmm. of, like hockey, basketball, soccer. Those are the main three that I can think of off the top of my head right now. Like they have really strong fan bases for all of the franchises and people are really passionate about them and they foster these like really involved communities like, not just players, but fans and, like, observers and journalists. Like, there's a lot going on, and now is, like, a really exciting time to be a part of that. I think the number one thing that needs to happen is that the unions need to be better.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think this off season, the WNBA is going to be doing a new CBA, because I think the Players Union and the WNBA is, like, an actual union. Whereas in hockey, there are players associations, but I do not believe that they are actually formally unionized. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just kind of like informal, like, hey, we advocate for the players. But I know that they haven't necessarily always spoken with a unified voice. Right. For example, I think the CWHL Players Association was the main source of like the NHL should step in and like fix this. Like, they kind of started that on their Twitter account, but, like, mm-hmm. I have no knowledge of whether, like, that was something that was agreed upon by, like, a formal, like, kind of union process. Right, And I seriously doubt that it was. Like, the the organizing for the players needs to be better, and they need to figure out, like, how to get advocates for these players' unions who are actually going to advocate for their interests and not, like, for the interests of, like, you know—
1: the getting
2: bought by a men's league, basically. Right. Yeah. Which is what which is what a lot of it seems to be like working towards is like, oh we if we get bought by a men's league, then that will fix everything. And it's like, no it won't.
1: <laughs> so no, it
2: won't. <laughs> so my question
1: in men's sports, um, unions have some actual power. Um, less so than mm-hmm. they have in decades past. And um, difference
3: across sports. Right. Different. And different That was one sports. thing that we addressed on balls and strikes especially right. with men's soccer yeah, is the strength of comparatively men's, right. even even like the unions across different men's sports right. is different. But, but I mean, yeah. at,
1: at a certain point, like they do have some strength because they're all making enough money that they can basically afford to not work for a little while or, or take, take a cut in order to help out the whole league possibly in some, in some mm-hmm. athletes cases. But I wonder if, in the case of women's sports, because the pay is already so low that they don't really have an opportunity or or room in order to advocate for themselves, because they're basically on starvation wages. As it as doesn't it is, it doesn't stands. it
3: demand a more radical response in some ways because of that. Um, in hockey, it does. I believe in the WNBA and the
2: NWSL, they're making like what would be considered a middle class wage. Because I know a lot of um WNBA players they do play um in the off season mm-hmm. as well. Like they play in leagues that play, you know, in different parts of the mm-hmm. world. Let's see. The minimum NWSL salary
3: that would as be of last year. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. The minimum salary was fifteen thousand and the max or no the minimum was fifteen thousand seven hundred and fifty and the maximum was forty four thousand. Mm-hmm. Um so you might be making Like, I guess, depending on what type of player you are, it might be like kind of a part time job thing or it might be, you know, kind of like an entry level job.
1: Which is embarrassing because just just for the league in general, because, you know, these people, these these athletes have given their entire lives to operating and functioning at that high of a level. You know, your life's work. For $15,000? And in
3: a a very physically dangerous, uh, like, you know, mentally stressful. Right. Might I say um, the WNBA basketball is doing the best. Mm -hmm. And
2: I would say the WNBA is probably, it's been considered, you know, kind of the model Mm -hmm. like that other women's sports leagues coming up should follow. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, they uh, had the advantage of being partnered from the beginning with the NBA who actually has done, Despite the fact that there is still a terrible wage gap, they've done a pretty good job of supporting the WNBA. WNBA players, the average salary for a WNBA player is $79,000 and I would nice. I would love to make $79,000. Yeah, yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so yeah, the WNBA is doing it is doing this pretty well I think in terms of, you know, giving their players a living wage. Mm-hmm. And I think that the players have better bargaining power as a result of the fact that they're established and they, they, there has been real value and that this is going back into capitalism. There's been real value. Like that's been extracted from the WNBA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so if they say like, Oh, we're going to, you know, go on strike and have to cancel the season because you didn't do this for us. That would be a tremendous loss. Yeah. And I think right now, hockey and soccer don't quite have that same cachet um at least in the United States um okay. <laughs> I'm worried that it's going to get worse in hockey in particular um hmm. just because there's all this like international interplay right now between the United States and Canada and the fact that there are two leagues and the fact that because there is not a living wage being offered people really can't move easily to participate in these leagues yeah um yeah, that was so
1: Precisely what I was saying before is, you know, when you're being paid so little, like, I don't feel like you have much opportunity or, or room to, to argue with what, what you're being given, um, which is unfortunate, Mm -hmm. because they're the ones that need it the most.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Like I said, until like, three years ago, there was no possible paying job in hockey like, to be a a women's hockey player. That just wasn't possible. So in theory, we've made progress, but we've Mm -hmm. also unearthed, like, a lot of new, exciting labor issues.
1: (laughs) (laughs) love it. Yeah, like, wages are are a thing. I, in particular, remember when the Women's World Cup was happening together, just talking about material support beyond wages. Um, The Women's World Cup, this past round, um, the big sticking point with them was that they were being forced to play on AstroTurf.
2: Yeah, and that that was, like, extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because of the heat. It, it was, yeah. like, melting their shoes onto their feet.
3: Ugh.
2: And uh, similarly, like, there was a recent cancellation of a WNBA game, which was kind of done for a safety issue, and the team that canceled the game that said they weren't going to play because they'd been in an airport for over 24 hours, and it would have been, like, physically unsafe for them to play without having slept.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They were—they're gonna charge them with a forfeit and not reschedule the game, which would like never happen in a men's oh, sport. Never. I don't think.
1: No, it never would. Even worse, like on top of not being paid well, they're being met with even even more unsafe conditions than than the men's leagues are.
2: Yeah, and there's a also a big controversy right now in the uh, NWSL about um, Sky Blue FC, which is the team in New Jersey, about how, like, their facilities are just, like, atrocious. Like, they have to live and, like, shower in these trailers that are apparently really gross, and they have, like, no facilities.
3: So it's just, like, So there's all these kind of minor features of, like, again, the institutional setup of these leagues and of of women's sports in general that that kind of undermine the athletes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's like
2: and it's this has been brought up a lot, but like mathematically, like the minimum salaries that are offered to like in every men's sports league, like one of those league minimum salaries could bankroll like one of the entire women's leagues, like one or two of those guys could bankroll an entire women's league for a year. I
3: just want to like say me, Lou and I just like just like cringed. Simultaneously. Uh,
1: and and, and what, what's the reason behind this is that women's sports that aren't popular, that these women aren't good enough. That's like the argument that people use all the time when they say, oh, well, you know, the CEO, he's so much more qualified, which is why he needs to make like 900 times more than, than his average worker. It's ridiculous.
2: Yeah. And nobody wants to think like, what if we didn't have conspicuous wealth? What could we right. do?
1: <laughs> that's like that that question is almost too big um because <laughs> when it comes to sports we just don't want to think about these big issues we don't want to think about uh sports as a labor or sports as is a political movement or anything like that or is a hotbed of of gender issues um, because you're you're just there to have fun
2: it's really interesting how like when people talk about, like, the value of sports, that they really, like, espouse all of these, like, very collectivist and socialist ideas.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> like, teamwork? They, you know, they, yeah, teamwork. It, like, teaches you how to work together. It teaches you how to respect each other. Solidary. It teaches you how to, like, see, you know, see the value of your fellow man mm-hmm. and, like, you know, just really cooperate and, like, you have the joy of, like, playing this beautiful game, and it reminds you of being a child, and it's so amazing. And then, like, once you get into it, and it's, like, you become so good at it, and you learn all these great lessons, and then it's, like, I'm going to sign, like, you know, a $10 million contract and buy a boat and have my, you know, extremely white children, like, on Instagram, <laughs> you know.
1: Do some tax it's evasion, too. Like,
3: <clears throat> Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, who that? Yeah. <laughs> It's just so like and hang so and hang hypocritical your and silly. Hang yeah. your mega hat in your locker. Right. <laughs> um. and tell everyone it's
1: not political. I Yeah, guess. yeah this I is not about, political. I care about
3: the economy. Yeah, yeah this is
1: this is what it's it economic is. Economic anxiety. Can we just get back to the game guys? Can we just yeah. get back to the game? <laughs> it's it's hard because we love sports. We really do. Um, but it can be really disappointing. Well,
3: that's what's tough. Yeah, it's more than a spect it's not just a spectacle. It's political. All, everything's political. Sports <laughs> is, like we've established, extremely political. Yeah. It definitely, like,
2: reflects the common cultural values of, like, wherever it exists. So, mm-hmm. like, if we, it's the kind of, like, you know, cultural ideal that we value is, like, the NFL, because that's the most popular sports league in America. It's like, God, like, this has just gotten very sad and very dark very quickly. <laughs>
1: it really like, has. Here, here first, guys. NFL is sad and dark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, here is. We should probably take a break. Uh, we will be back.
2: You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Punching Out. Um, you are still joined with me, Lou, and...
3: Amanda. And our friend our from out guest yes, Zoe, Zoe. yes, editor-in-chief of Victory Press. Yes, she rules, guys, she really
1: does. Um, okay, Aw, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've had a fun conversation so far. So, as often we do on Punching Out, we kinda wanna end on a happier note. So, uh, a look to the future. So when it comes to women's sports, sports in general maybe, but particularly women's sports, what do we want to see? What does the future look like?
3: In our socialist I, utopia.
1: Socialist utopia. Yeah. Key
3: key emphasis on socialist, maybe not utopia. It could be the scientific <laughs> socialist. I I think the number one thing
2: that I want to see, which I've already mentioned a couple of times, is I want all of like the resources and Effort that we currently allocate to upholding men's sports and the conspicuous wealth that it comes with men's sports, I want all of that to be reallocated equally to not only support women's sports but to support like sports that do not have gender binary Mm. divides, Mm. like. I, I would love to see sports leagues that are equally supported that are not just for women and not just for men, but for everyone. Right. That
1: would be um, rad. Right. And I think more importantly It would the, be so rad. Yeah, it would really be awesome. But I think the word that you used that I think isn't emphasized enough or, or isn't thought about enough is that the the resources that are spent in supporting men's sports basically what you said so so there's like an understanding among us three here and hopefully everybody out there in general that the dominance of men's sports is partially artificial
2: it's, oh, it's yeah. an allocation I, I would, of, yeah, and is, allocation of resources. It's an allocation
1: of resources
2: i would say that it's wholly artificial yeah but i'm going for broke here do it let's do it <laughs> now's yeah, the totally
1: artificial it's all bunk <laughs> You know these these resources have been allocated to men. They have priorities in sports, and this is a conscious choice that is made. This isn't something natural, or or just springing out of the ether like this. This is a choice that's made. And yes, the mechanisms behind the choice might be hidden because of patriarchy and capitalism mm-hmm. and everything like that. But since it is a choice, we can very well choose the
3: opposite. And it starts. It starts with the athletes as their children. Mm-hmm. Starts with like youth leagues and programs and like follows them all the way into as they mature as yeah. athletes. It's a temporal process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I, I really think that, you know, we
2: hear a lot, I think, about youth sports, but like almost kind of like in a Hallmark card sort of way. Right. Like, yeah. You know, look, like this guy who's a, name a famous athlete I can't even think of any men right now Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're picking to on have. Tom
3: Brady today
2: he can yeah. handle it like Tom like Tom Brady ran this youth football clinic in you know Springfield Massachusetts look at all the little tykes you know really excited to meet their hero Tom Brady and it's like we don't really see as much unless you're like actively involved in like youth athletics like high school or just like informally organized youth athletics like you don't see like you know what actually happens to these kids when they're training and like in some cases you get like amazing programs that really like benefit the kids and benefit their families and like get them involved in sports for the rest of their lives in some capacity but then you also see like just really poorly organized things or things that are only done to like uphold certain athletes for example yeah. that's why we have title nine in the United States you know the idea that if schools want to get federal funding they have to provide equal opportunities for their women athletes in their programs and it's really the only thing that's like saving i think yeah the sports world right now is the existence of title 9 <laughs> um, and I, I wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised if uh the current people in the federal government try to get rid of title 9 It's already starting uh, frankly don't.
1: Don't give them the idea. I think they already have that idea. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I was thinking about this earlier and I didn't say it, but you know, when you think of women in sports, you mostly think of like girls in sports,
2: you know, mm -hmm. like you don't think of adult women, like at the peak of their like physical capability. A lot of the most amazing things I've ever seen, like ever have been, you know, plays made by like women's hockey players in their mid twenties. And, At a certain point, like, most hockey players have to stop playing because there weren't as many professional opportunities. But, like, Mm -hmm. when you see, like, how they can condition their bodies to, like, perform, you know, at that age, you have to think that if they can keep going, that, like, they could be even better.
1: Yeah.
2: It's unbelievable what people can do when they can really, you know, focus solely on the thing that they love. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah,
1: and, and and it's not that there's not an interest in that or that women don't want to do this as a sport or that people won't even watch them. It's just they're not given the opportunity to do so.
2: Yeah, they're not given the opportunity to be seen. Visibility is a huge thing. That's the other thing. Like in our utopia there would be broadcasting and opportunities to attend games in person for, like, literally everyone. You wouldn't have to hunt online to, like, find the game that you want to watch.
1: Hunt online to find the game or be able to afford to go to a game.
2: Yeah, that's another interesting thing,
3: which could probably be its own
2: episode, like, (laughs) attending sports.
3: My question for you, Zoe, is do you think that women's sports specifically and sports in general – would be improved with the abolition of capitalism.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yay. Uh, (laughs) That's it.
1: We're done. Capitalism solved.
2: Uh, We managed (laughs) to kill it. Yay. Um, No, I think that there are probably a lot of athletes, particularly women's athletes who are currently competing in these leagues that I enjoy watching so much who might have different feelings about that. And I think that, you know, that's, because we've been taught that like that's how you survive is right. by doing this work um, and making this money. If we were living in a society where everyone was supported equally and people could pursue passions in ways that made sense for them without having to worry about their financial sustainability or just like dying or yeah. their yeah. children dying and like not having medicine, not having healthcare if we weren't constantly living in fear of those things that would change everything yeah. and that would that would probably, you know, increase equitable opportunity for people not just to do women's sports or um you know non-gender segregated sports but to just do like anything yeah um absolutely so to enjoy their life be, <laughs> what crazy <laughs> yeah but i think you know you see it now that like people are pursuing The sport that they're interested in, especially on the women's side, not because they're trying to get rich, because obviously they're not going to get rich in this lifetime, but because they love playing the game and because they, they do have those values that this is something valuable to do for society, that this is something that's valuable to do for, like, whoever comes next after them to, like, show, you know, all the kids playing the game now that, like, you can be awesome and strong and like have this wonderful skill and that it's fun and that it's beautiful and people are doing it right now for little to no money. So,
1: I mean, I, I think the problem is, and this happens a lot in feminism in general, is that when we're trying to repair the issues of gender bias, we try to just replicate the models of everything else. Like the system that oppressed us, we Mm want to replicate that Um, system. Ourselves reminds
3: me of li- liberal feminism, especially if we're talking like politically, yeah. where like yeah. we're saying not to bring up again the uh, Hillary Clinton, but like <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sighing. They heard you. It's the corporate model of like being like uh, put a woman in the presidency, put a woman as CEO, more women prison guards. Like we <laughs> yeah. don't. That's yeah. <laughs> make, diversify the oppressor and you're right. that's not what we want. Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely like what the forward motion of women's sports needs to resist actively and that's mm-hmm. why, you know, I'm, it's been very frustrating for me trying to cover it as like a journalist right. and also as like, you know, a leftist journalist. Like, I don't want it to be more capitalist. I don't want it to be like more about wealth and like, all of that stuff. I want it to be about cooperation and community involvement and making sure that everyone can make a living wage and making sure that no one has to worry about having a season ending or life altering injury and not being able to afford to live. Yeah, That's what I think is really important is that like we need to focus on the life aspect of it and also not, you know, excluding people, like not excluding, you know, people of color, not excluding people with intersex conditions not excluding trans people and you know obviously women's sports has a whole side issue with like queer stuff because a lot of women's athletes are queer but also like there are some who are very homophobic like actively (laughs) homophobic that's a whole other can of worms but it's like if women's sports isn't inclusive you know if they're not trying to be inclusive then they're just basically killing the whole idea in the cradle right you know
1: that's absolutely true and I don't know. It's frustrating that those seem to be the only options that are often presented out there. Is that your your mm-hmm. options are you accept and replicate this model that's out there or you just don't do it?
3: There's a better way. Yeah, or
1: just yeah. quit. Yeah, or just quit entirely. And, and that's, that's a problem. Like I think that's one of the reasons why women athletes are so passionate about what they do and they're why they're willing to work for starvation wages is because those are the options. You either accept it or you quit. It sucks.
3: <laughs> We're here to say that's not the case. It's not. It doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. Uh, labor unions are good.
1: Yes. <laughs> Yay, labor unions. <laughs> Yay. I mean, I hope if you're listening to this, you've already kind of figured out We're big fans of labor
3: unions, (laughs) but not to say that like we've addressed previously in this conversation that there isn't room for improvement within that structure too. that Mm -hmm. labor unions are also an institution Mm -hmm. um, that can be improved upon. Like you like you've said with a focus on intersectionality, not intersectional Then you're just, you know, basically designating another
2: group of people who's going to be oppressed and excluded. Yeah so it has to have that idea like at the forefront of it otherwise it's just going to be the same thing over and over again
1: what what would be a really good step that we could as an audience what could we do now in order to help improve the condition of women's
3: sports how, like how do we support yeah yeah um you should watch them you should talk <laughs> give about them, them give women your money
2: <laughs>
1: yeah but not just um, women I also. also right Everybody,
3: women I and also, gender. No? I think,
2: yeah, give, give all genders your money who aren't <laughs> the white men, non- just give, cis- give them all your money.
3: Yes, <laughs> give non- but really, though, do all you, your money. Yeah, like throw yeah. money at them, please. Right. Um, but also,
2: like, I think that, and this has been not really effective, but I do think that writing letters to like leagues and telling them what you think of them is mm-hmm. valuable. Not that they ever listen, really, but it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's worth doing. at least you told them. And I do think that it does, it would have more of an impact if you did write to like a women's league. Um, you might not never ever know that they read what you said, but I think that they would probably take it more to heart because they have a much greater survival reliance on your dollars <laughs> at this point. Right. Um, other than, say, Gary Butman, who I, I have written a letter to Gary Butman before. Um, How's that I'm girl? sure that went very poorly. <laughs> I don't yeah. know.
1: I don't know. Maybe he has it, like, framed.
2: I, I think it was about, um, like, the NHL's policy about, like, how they respond to allegations of sexual assault and domestic uh, violence. ooh, that. Uh, it's, yeah. It is so is it bad. bad. <laughs> it is terrible. Yeah, and that's. And that's the other thing, like, why would you want any men's league who are so historically terrible about, you know, women, particularly like women who have been harmed by direct, you know, contact with their athletes? Like, why would you want them overseeing a women's league? <laughs> just, it I boggles
1: think, my mind. I think that whole uh, idea of like the NHL or, or M- NBA taking over a women's league, I think that's my conspiracy theory is that they would automatically be a way to squash them entirely. Like, take over the entire league and disband it.
2: Yeah. Or just, like, use it to make, like, some other thing happen, almost. I don't know. It would, they, they would definitely subvert it, and they would definitely prevent, I think, the players from saying what they want to say, and they would probably also, like, prevent a formal union from from happening. Because what the kind of MO right now is, like, for example, the NHLPA, like, advises Um, the other, the women's leagues, but they don't like actually, like they're not actually unionized though, Mm -hmm. so it's like it feels like a consolation prize like, oh, you're not big enough yet to have a real union, (laughs) let's hold your hand and make sure you don't fall off
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's patronizing
2: Right now like, watch women's sports, talk about them, tell all your friends how much you know, you love watching women's sports If, if you do love it, obviously don't tell lies but I think that if you do watch women's sports that you'll really enjoy them Um, particularly Mm -hmm. um, I've really been enjoying watching soccer like watching basketball this summer I'd like never really watched either of those things before and they're fantastic watch hockey it's Um,
3: worth mentioning that we have in neighboring Buffalo we have a a women's team the Buffalo Buttes yeah and that's very interesting
2: too they got purchased by uh the Pagula Sports company recently and they've yeah. actually like just signed one of the best goaltenders in the world for next season um, nice. Canadian goaltender named Shannon Zabatos So if you want to get into women's hockey right now, the Buttes are a great team to watch. They've signed so many like all world players. Like they're going to be an amazing team next year. It's worth nice. watching just for Shannon Zabatos because she's incredible. <laughs> awesome.
1: Yeah. I think that's a punching out field trip. Yes, for let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. All right. With that, we should probably end. But you've been listening to Punching Out. I'm
3: Lou. I'm Amanda. Thank I'm you so much, Zoe. Yes, for please. Thank us. you for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> please visit www.victorypress.org and read some of her and her writer's amazing writing on sports and feminist and intersectional feminist <laughs> issues. It's... It's good stuff, guys. Great. All right. Well,
1: thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.